Nikos Bornozis likes tradition, which mandates to start uh, with uh, eye-catching introductions, and we will not disappoint him. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in the next 40 minutes, you will be entertained with tales of the good, the bad, and the scrubby, and passion for creation. The three piece presented at Capital Link by Mr. Tsavliris, Patience, Perseverance, and Passion, for 2020, they will become the 2020 piece, that is, prepare, plan, practice, augmented by predict. Although 2020 will bring tectonic costs to shipping, it will benefit agriculture, environment, and save human lives, maybe more than half a million uh, of them and more. It is a regulation worth its money. Our panel will discuss the implementation and the preparation for implementing the regulation. Our distinguished panel consists of Mr. Michael Sapiro, head of marine fuels of Glencore Energy UK, a commodity trader, Mr. Nikos Reskos, chief operations officer of Starbulk, um, Mr. Vangelis Russos, technical business development manager of uh, Tafton Oceanic, a fund management company with quite of a few ships among their assets, and last but not least, Mr. Burbulis, general manager of Euronav Hellas. I will try to ask a different question, it's panelist, so we'll have a variety of uh, replies. Uh, let me start with, uh, uh, with Mr. Russos. Do you think that uh, the disruption due, due to 2020 will create a chaotic environment on 1st of January of 2020 and later, do you expect increase in consumer goods prices as a result of the fuel bill hikes? Thank you for the question, John. And uh, thanks for Nicolas for having us. Um, yeah, it's an interesting question, uh, but I, I will start by saying that uh, chaotic is a bit of a strong word to use here. And the reason I'm saying that is because our industry has been in this position, not in the exact same position, but in a similar position before. When we uh, were switching over from 0 0.5 to 0 0.1 for the ECAs, so it's not something that's completely new. So the straight answer would be no. I don't think it's going to be a chaotic environment. But um, on the supply side, there will be disruptions. That's, that's uh, something that everybody identifies and everybody has in, the, in their mind. Uh, you'll see slow steaming, you'll see bunkering delays, you'll see even engineering breakdowns, all the things that uh, the previous panel has discussed are a real concern on the supply side. Now on the demand side, uh, 
things are a bit more complicated because there are macro, uh, macro headwinds that could disrupt uh, the, the demand side. But on, the, on core shipping, the fact that uh, banker prices will be rising overnight by, what is it, 30%? Again, it's not something that has not happened before. I mean, we go back as soon as, uh, as early as uh, 2010. I remember the summer of 2010, Brent was about $70, and six months after, it went up to $120. Uh, consumer goods did not spike at the time, and we don't expect it to do so now. Now, there's also other factors to, con to consider, right? At the time, interest rates were zero, so inflation was zero, and uh, there was no way for consumer prices to move up. Right now, consumer prices are not zero, but uh, some would say uh, <laughs> uh, some would be thankful anyway but that the macro policy is, is dovish, as it was back then. So I don't see uh, why this change would create a chaotic environment on the demand side. And if there is anything that uh, should happen on the supply side, it's probably positive for, uh, for the owning community. Thank you. So that means we should not make a run in the supermarkets or in the computer stores to, or in the electric appliance stores to buy <laughs> new products. Uh, not unless you know something more. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Burbulis, uh, what is your company doing to prepare with respect to crew training, fuel procurement and management, and tank cleaning? And when is the start date at Euronav for debunkering the non-compliant fuel? I will start uh, from the last question. We will do our best uh, to end up uh, by the end of this uh, year uh, without having uh, non-compliant fuel on board our ships because none of our ships uh, is uh, planned to have uh, a scrubber. So our strategy is to be sure to avoid uh, carrying next year uh, non-compliant fuel on board the ships. Uh, in relation to the preparation, this is a big process which has started a uh, long time ago. Uh, a thorough review of all the fleet, uh, the possibilities to segregate uh, the bunker tanks, to identify possible methods for cleaning, and gradually performing, mainly we do with the use of the crew resources to prepare the tanks. And of course the training, uh, we co cooperate uh, with um, a reputable uh, consultant, and we proceed uh, continuously towards that uh, target. And procurement of fuel? Procurement of fuel, uh, you probably are aware, because recently it was uh, publicized, that uh, for uh, the beginning, in order to avoid any uh, possible uh, abrupt uh, disruptions, we have reserved a quantity of uh, uh, being stored on board one of one of the ULCCs that uh, we have, uh, which is 440,000 tons uh, dead weight. So uh, we will cover a kind of uh, basic needs through that and the rest uh, through the spot market. 
and uh, you have another ULCC, if I'm not mistaken, right? Yes, actually there are four ULCCs, uh, sister ships. The two of them are uh, converted to FSOs, but the other one is uh, more, uh, let's say, flexible for a potential uh, follow-up, if necessary. Thank you. Uh, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Reskos, uh, your company has elected to go with uh, the second option uh, allowed by IMO, that is continue use heavy fuel uh, oil combined with exhaust gas cleaning uh, systems known as scrubbers. Do you think that the scrubber solution is a long-term solution or a temporary one with an expiration date. If it is, would it be more financially prudent to act now as you do, as opposed to the future? Thank you, John, and thank you for the very nice cartoon and with the moustache. Um, I think both uh, low sulfur fuel solutions and compliant fuel solutions and, and exhaust gas cleaning system are medium-term solutions. They're neither short-term or long-term. So it's a decision of a company to uh, select a model. We have researched this for almost three years before we went out to order uh, for the majority of our fleet. So we are one of the early adopters. Um, we believe that uh, as long as the regulation remains, after extensive research and uh, multiple data points being recorded over the last year on the impact of uh, scrubbers uh, to the environment, which uh, I think has been well documented, but we can explore that uh, during the panel further, as well as uh, the ability to reduce emissions in general versus uh, compliant fuel uh, emissions, I think it makes uh, a very viable solution for the medium term. Now, if uh, something does change in the future, uh, which of course is always a possibility, it may not happen next year, but the year after, uh, as a company, we will invest in technologies to improve on the systems we have already installed. Um, it's important to note that the experience so far with uh, 30 running systems uh, is impressive. We are recording data for ourselves, which we'll be submitting later on uh, to uh, flag states and authorities as we move along through the process. And uh, eventually, I think everything will be replaced by the next uh, technology, whether it's LNG, um, in an affordable format um, and uh, in a method that can uh, fit the Trump nature of uh, tankers and bulkers. Uh, it remains to be seen. We're hopeful towards that direction and will adapt uh, as the situation requires. Thank you. Uh, in somewhat, I'm tempted to ask uh, Mr. Sapiro, although he, I know that he is a fuel expert, he was here last year, as you recall. But I would like to ask a general question, which is a policy question. Uh, we know that shipping, maybe unintentionally, uh, punishes the early movers. We have seen that in the case of ballast water treatment. Uh, do you think that something like that will happen in the case of scrubbers, for example? What is your opinion about this? Um, so I think uh, the most important 
kind of feedback that I can give is having been here last year and uh, seen the reaction and the emotion in the crowd, there was definitely a lot of uh, anger and resentment towards this regulation. Uh, this doesn't seem to me to move now. In the meetings that we've had this week and the preparation of the last year, everybody certainly seems to have a plan. I know that we've taken an extraordinary amount of planning before we made any decisions, and this included a very diverse amount of uh, analysis. Uh, we obviously participate through the whole supply chain, all the way from refining to running ships of our own in the crude markets, distillate markets, fuel markets. We're one of the largest retail marine fuel suppliers. Uh, you know, we've, I've personally met with the IMO. We, I've done a lot of work with the ISO committee in development of the new PAS. And I think this, uh, a lot of the things that we talk about now as these things that people should be doing are probably things people should have been doing all along, such as segregation, such as understanding who your suppliers are, understanding the characteristics of the fuels that you're buying, checking thoroughly your counterparties. We spend an inordinate amount of time checking our counterparties. Uh, and I'm hopeful that the rest of the market is as prepared and as receptive as our counterparties have been. And uh, you know, people talk about scrubbers. Scrubbers have been around for a very long time. I mean, exactly. uh, this is not a new technology. The IMO has said that they're open to these technologies, so uh, it's an option. And if it's an option right. people want to use, then they will use it. Last year, everybody's saying, oh my God, these 0.5 fuels, there won't be any. There is a lot of 0.5 fuel out there right now. Some of it has come from the refiners. Some of it is uh, on floating storage. It's, it's in a lot of different places. Understanding how to handle that fuel, taking the right technical advice, how to prepare from the receiving side and from the supply side. We've taken inordinate steps to do that because I think a lot of the issues will come for the people that are less prepared. And they're much more likely to be the ones that uh, face the penalties and face the pain. If you do everything right, you significantly minimize your chances. And that is why we spend an inordinate amount of time within our own fleets, within our own preparation, and also with our counterparties to ensure that we all understand what each other's responsibilities are. And also sit in these committees and groups such as this and closed door groups where once you get everybody in the same room, there's a lot more transparency and it becomes very clear what everybody's responsibilities are. And if you do those things, you have much less problems. Thank you. We faced uh, this uh, low sulfur fuel 2010 uh, with a 0.1% in the European ports and 0.1 in the ECAS since 2015. Uh, I would like to ask on that uh, same note, Mr. Russos, uh, there is a lot of controversy about uh, the use, the utilization of open loop scrubbers. Yet, thousands of tankers are equipped with scrubbers, the inner gas scrubbers, discharging their effluent freely during loading and unloading operations. Why do you think there is, is that controversy now? Well, I, I think, John, that we have to look at each solution in the context in which it was adopted. Uh, IGS and scrubbers are essentially the same thing. But IGS, when it was adopted, was adopted as a safety item. Uh, it wasn't adopted as an environmental item. So the focus at that time when they were, we were adopting IGS was on, on some safety. And with time, the IGS became the prevalent and the dominant choice in, uh, in inerting the tanks and became the status quo. So now nobody is questioning that. So that's the first thing. 
the second thing I think it's uh, optionality. Uh, right now, we have an option to choose between scrubbers and uh, compliant fuel. IGS did not have an alternative. So the fact that we have optionality now maybe exacerbates the, uh, the debate on whether open loop systems are environmentally acceptable or not. And uh, finally, okay, more on the, train, on the realm of the transcendental, I, I think the spirit of the time well, is, is different. Right now the focus is on environmental issues. Back then it was not. And whatever that environmental concern was, it mainly was about uh, maybe plastics or sludge from the ships, which we have managed to, to eliminate, by the way, in the industry. But it's a different uh, spirit. So it's, uh, I'd say three things. Optionality, uh, optionality, context, and uh, the spirit of the times. Just as uh, thank you, uh, the fact remains that the inner gas scrubbers have been on board, and they discharge about 5,000 cubic meters per day when they do their loading and loading uh, uh, operations. Let me ask uh, Mr. Burbulis. Uh, a lot of discussion has been around about uh, non-compliance. Uh, do you expect a high number of no, uh, failure to comply, uh, which will disrupt the low-level playing field? I presume you mean, I presume you mean uh, intentionally non-compliance. Intentional non-compliance, yes. I feel that uh, for anybody in this panel, at least, there is not an option. But uh, generally, I hope that uh, this will not uh, uh, be a, cons a significant part of the uh, choices that some operators may take. Uh, temporarily non-compliance uh, under certain circumstances, it is uh, provided according to the current uh, regulations, and it's going to cover the possibilities that there is no availability in certain areas of uh, compliant fuel. So all in all, uh, I, I would say that is a lot to, to, to be considered uh, based on, the, on how the enforcement regime will develop on that matter. Uh, on the other hand, uh, we know that the ships that they don't uh, have a scrubber installed they are not allowed to carry uh, non-compliant fuel. So this is also, for me, a very strong barrier for uh, intentional non-compliance. To preserve uh, burning HFO in the middle of the ocean. Thank you. Uh, I would like to ask uh, Mr. Eskos, uh, what is uh, a lot of uh, discussion has been about uh, the fuel. Uh, what is your... Uh, fuel procurement uh, strategy, uh, because there is a problem of availability, of quality. Is it done on a geographical uh, and financial basis? Thank you, John. I would just like uh, to go back uh, for a quick second on uh, the comparison with the inert gas systems. Um, I agree more with Mikael. There has been uh, a huge amount of research done over the past uh, few years. Uh, I'm not going to bore the audience with every single study, but uh, I'm talking about the C Delft study, the DNV uh, Carnival study, 
the Japanese Ministry of Transport study, have all looked into the details of the effect of uh, PAHs, uh, the wash water, uh, PM, and of course sulfur. And uh, there's a huge data set available has been submitted to the IMO, uh, especially between February and March this year when the debate really heated up. And so far, there is no concrete evidence, recorded evidence, that uh, open loop wash water uh, is harmful to the environment. Uh, there have been cases to the contrary, and if you want to explore that further, I'm happy to, uh, to discuss that. But, uh, but back to your question on bunkers. Um, this has been moving sands uh, for all of us. Uh, it is definitely geographical, the decision we're going to take, and physical, not derivatives, because that will still require uh, significant credit lines at a time where we still see uncertainty for the coming months. Uh, we have spent uh, several months debating and discussing with all our suppliers, uh, traders and refineries, on what could they supply uh, next year. We have uh, no huge concern of HFO availability. We see about one million barrels per day excess uh, supply of HFO that will gradually fall to about half a million by the end of the year with the equilibrium of the compliant fuel supply, but there's still a lot of fuel out there. Um, we did a research where we saw PLATS was not any more representative of reality uh, about six months ago. And that's because there's huge uncertainty on barging efficiency, refiners cleaning up their lines, and uh, suppliers want to make a, a decent buck next year. This is uh, being streamlined over the past few months. We see more opportunity for uh, contracts more supplies, more solid proposals. Uh, but I think decision-making will take place for us uh, this quarter. Thank you. So let me ask uh, Michael a question in your area of the goods. Uh, being a fuel expert, what would be your recommendation for uh, the standards to be applied on the fuel to buy? And what tests can be done to ensure that uh, the quality is what it should be? I think the best way to address this probably, obviously within our own company, uh, we do a significant amount of extra testing and our own internal testing on fuels. Uh, all of that is driven on, the, I guess, for our company, 30 plus years of experience in bunkers that we have. And myself personally, the last two decades in blending fuels and looking at uh, different fuel properties and also seeing the new fuels on the market and also working within ISO, I think it gives us uh, a very unique look. We've looked at a, many different tests and many different ways to uh, see how we can make fuels better and test them better. Uh, it is very clear that from, from an overall standpoint, ISO provides a lot of information about the fuel. Uh, additional steps you can take beyond that, obviously, is uh, to understand who your suppliers are, understand the transparency in which they operate and where their fuel comes from. I think you've seen a lot of this uh, reflected in the reemergence of the traditional refiners uh, coming in and saying we're going to be supplying almost every refiner saying we're going to have 0.5 fuel available. Uh, some of them have chosen to enter the retail space themselves, which has not been done. And as was previously rightly pointed out, there is a credit constraint there. Uh, that is going to be faced if prices do go up. Uh, so uh, I think from that standpoint, you really need to understand the transparency, know that you're dealing with people that understand the formulation of their fuel and where their fuel is coming from. Uh, you want to have some consistency that is not going to always be possible. And I think there's a lot of very solid advice that's coming from many advisory agencies 
that have seen this in the past, that have that are seen the testing issues, that are saying, hey, segregate your fuels, understand what you're putting on board, train your crews, don't mix the fuels in the day tank. All of these things that you can try to avoid and take those preparations, these are things that can go wrong. Compatibility was never a guarantee before between fuels. So to assume that this is an issue now, uh, I think has been addressed over the last, say, six months. People have come to terms with it, and now they're taking a lot of preparatory steps. So obviously, the most important part is understand who it is that you're dealing with and who your counterparties are and rely on that experience. And not everybody that says they're going to have 0.5 fuel necessarily does that. So if, for example, uh, I know beforehand, before delivery, if I know, for example, uh, the density and the viscosity of the fuel to be delivered, uh, or the blend, if you prefer, uh, can I make any conclusion about the compatibility with what I have in the tanks now? And uh, would you think that a spot test on board might be conclusive? Would you do that? Would you risk something like that? Uh, this spot test, there's a reason why the spot test has never really been part of ISO. I suggest that you do go, if you don't have a copy of the PES, go purchase it and read it. There is a reference to it. The spot test has an inherent flaw when you're dealing with fuels that don't have asphaltines in them. You will, and, uh, and it is, uh, as somebody mentioned before, it is a subjective test. So while it is helpful, there are other tests within uh, the ISO specs, such as sediment, uh, aged, that will give you a much better view on the fuel itself. But truly, the way to know whether two fuels are compatible is to put them together. So while that's why the best policy has always been not to mix the fuels, and that's the expectation that we have. And a lot of our customers that buy the fuel, and frankly, when we do on our ships, everybody tries to make that best effort. And that's very similar feedback from almost every single person that we have met in Greece. And uh, everybody's certainly taken very heavy preparations on this, as well as compliance, as well as cleaning and not having high sulfur. People understand this is coming. They've really come to terms with it, and they're doing it. So I think this is the best way to prepare follow these guidelines. They're all there for a reason. Don't take chances and train your crews. So I did use two golden rules from your uh, reply. Number one is utilize an ISO accredited laboratory to do the, the testing and the sampling uh, for, of your samples. And uh, the second golden rule is segregate, segregate, segregate. But this is a logistical issue, right? We're segregating now between high sulfur and low sulfur. Yeah in a lot of places, in refineries, on ships, everybody's segregating to a certain extent. We should not mix uh, fuels coming from different sources, if we can. Uh, we have about 10 minutes remaining. Uh, instead of having a monologue between me and the panel, uh, I believe it should be a good idea to give the floor to the audience to ask some questions. So we have a golden opportunity to ask the operators uh, on uh, this hot potato issue about the D-Day which approach. Mr. Pandazopoulos, Dr. Pandazopoulos, sorry. Okay, we, we have, 
in the long term, save the environment and reduce the greenhouse effect. So we regulate the fuels that the shipping industry is burning, the airspace industry. Can we regulate the fuel industry? Can we say that we put strict regulation on the entire fuel industry in terms of producing clean fuels and then the entire industry, the land industry, in terms of producing? So this is a more general kind of question, but since you have... You seem to be looking at me, so I think you want me to answer. <laughs> Um, look, I, I think in terms of uh, regulation and licensing, uh, we operate an extremely uh, tight operation in terms of uh, the rules. And uh, we were one of the first proponents for mass flow meters in uh, Singapore. We spent a significant money, uh, amount of money of them. They've worked very well for us in Singapore. We are uh, one of the largest, not only blenders, but suppliers there. Uh, they've allowed us, I think, to build a sustainable business. So we are very much proponents of these, of these type of measures. We've tried them in other places where you didn't have this regulation. It became more difficult. So I think uh, anybody that operates a responsible, large-scale business would like to have the, everybody playing by the same rules. And as I'm sure every single person in this room that has spent money on scrubbers, that has spent money on tank cleaning, that is spending money on new fuels uh, and purchasing them, they want the same. So we all just want to be able to play by even rules. Next question, yeah, or does anybody else from the panel want to reply? Okay. Next question. Should I say uh, about the previous, if there's no other question, uh, I would like to uh, agree that we would like very much to have a more clear uh, regulatory field for the bunkering of the ships. Uh, of course, this is not uh, possible for IMO to implement because there are local regulations. Uh, shipping associations are doing a lot in order to bring uh, the whole uh, operation up to a certain standard to avoid uh, circumstances where you are caught uh, by surprise uh, concerning what you expect to receive and what you receive. That's right. Uh, let me ask another question. Uh, all the members of the panel, uh, it's a ship management question anyway. Uh, do you think that there is going to be some uh, separation, uh, like ships with scrubbers will be the favorite uh, babies of uh, time charterers, uh, or uh, the spot market, is there going to be a difference in treating the vessels between spot market, spot uh, chartering and time chartering? Uh, what will be the final uh, outcome and how long is it going to last? Mr. Rescos. I think uh, charter started off a year and a half ago skeptical uh, on the unemploying uh, scrubbers scrubber-fitted vessels. Um, as time goes by, and especially during the last three months, we have seen uh, almost all our clients uh, coming to us to negotiate a deal basis time charter and a profit share. 
Um, on the voyage side of, of, the, of the question, it, uh, it's a matter of how, what kind of vessel you're talking about. So big ships and long-haul voyages, it makes sense to uh, go for voyage where you take uh, the differential, whatever that will be uh, for yourself. On the smaller vessels, probably a strategy of uh, fixing vessels away as long as you have a reasonable uh, profit share agreement with the charter, it makes sense. But all that depends also on who is investing on the scrubber. Is that joint investment? Is it the charter investing in the scrubber? Uh, is it the owner investing and financing it? So that uh, sets also the tone of the discussion of what you will give up as an owner. Um, others have gone for a flat uh, rate just to repay the cost of, uh, of the scrubber. And that also goes into how complex or not uh, your charter party will be. So the friendlier you are on a flat rate uh, <clears throat> on a contract, uh, the easier terms you're going to have to deal with uh, during negotiations. Thank you. Um, I would like to ask uh, a last question, because we are getting towards the end of the time. Uh, do you predict, this is also financial related, uh, do you predict a change in the insurance premium uh, that we will have to pay because of 2020? Who would like to answer? I can start and then... Uh, Please. I mean, we're already seeing uh, premium going up with uh, every time we ask insurers to give us a quote for a scrubber feedership. And that's, that's not something that came out of nowhere, it's just a function of the increased uh, vessel value. So that's there. There's an increased premium because you have installed a, a scrubber. Now, there may also be a, an, an element of uh, the extra risk involved in it, but uh, we did not yet quantify that, and I'm not sure how that will evolve in, uh, in next year or the year after. So would the insurance uh, coverage include uh, fines or... Uh, uh, loss of hire due to non-availability of fuel, uh, that type of thing, or uh, you think not? Well, we've not seen it yet. We don't know what's going to happen next year, but it's not yet priced into the premium. I would like to mention here that uh, the recently unveiled uh, Intertanko uh, and BIMCO uh, BIMCO uh, release with the clauses that should be uh, included in the insurance contracts is a very valuable uh, resource on what to include in an insurance agreement. Uh, with that, uh, if there is no question from the audience, I would like to close. Uh, uh, I would like to uh, congratulate the panelists for the excellent job and uh, this concludes our presentation. Thank you.